Today, we're talking about John chapter 14, where Jesus says, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Okay. How many of you have ever thought about that? You know, win the lottery, do whatever. I remember when I was at another church, there was a young lady there, eight-year-old young, no, she was 10, 10-year-old young lady. She got cancer. And I remember asking God, I said, heal her, heal her, heal her. You know, I'm asking anything in your name. And, 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 and have you ever noticed at the end of our prayer, we always tack on in Jesus name. Have you ever done that? You know, in Jesus, anybody know what that means? You know, it's just kind of the way we draw it to a close, huh? In Jesus name. And then we say, amen, in Jesus name, amen. And it's kind of almost the same phrase. The amen is just tacked on to the end of in Jesus name. But I would always pray in Jesus name, you know, and thinking, you know, if I say in Jesus name, you know, and I invoke his power, then he's going to do what I want him to do. But you know what? The little girl died. And I went through a real crisis there for a few days and, and wondering, you know, God, I, you know, what happened, man? There were so many good things that could have come from this and da 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 you know, I went on and on and on and I struggled. And so I went back and studied this passage of scripture and I want to help you today to understand this passage of scripture. Uh, obviously, just asking for something doesn't impose anything on God to do it, right? We just can't impose on God, you know, if we say, God, I want this, and, you know, boom. But when we read this passage of Scripture here, it says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. And so we wonder, what's up with that? You know, it says, if I ask anything in your name, you'll do it. And so we've got to understand that. And so, and I came to the conclusion in my experience that I had truly misunderstood the Scripture. Because I know one thing, and that is that when God speaks, it's truth. And if, I, if it doesn't work the way I think it's supposed to work, then there's something wrong with the way I think it's supposed to work, right? So therefore, I have to go back, and I have to change what I believe, and I have to find out what is really the truth here. So let's take a look at what does it say. In your outline there, in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, it says this, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You can ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. And we go, oh, man, you know, and we start our list, you know. I start this, oh, yeah, I want this, and I want that, and I want, you know. And we start making a list of things we want God to do. Well, like I said, we usually tack on the, in the end of that, in Jesus' name, amen, you know. Because it says, if you ask whatever you ask in what? My name. And then in verse 14, you may ask me anything in my name. And so we say, in the name of Jesus, amen. Or in your name, Amen. And we all have our different ways of saying it. So we tack that on at the end. And it's almost as if we're trying to twist God's arm to do what we want. You know, in your name, Lord. <laughs> Remember, you said, if I ask in your name, here it is. I'm asking in your name. And uh, now do it. And we sit on the edge of our seats. And sometimes God just doesn't do it. You know, so we got to go back to the scripture and take a look at what we need to do. So let's take a I'm going to give you a little lesson today in how to translate scripture. There's three things you need to do, and they're right here in your outline. And so how do you translate the Bible? Number one, you have to understand the context. Understand the context. We've taken this verse right out of context, haven't we? We've removed it from the verses that precede it, and we've removed it from the verses that, that come after it. And we've just taken those little words out there, and it says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and may, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Boom, we're done. We've got it. We've got a principle to live on. We've got a name to claim. And so, therefore, we pray in Jesus' name, expecting God to do what we ask. Well, we have to understand some things. First of all, what came before that verse? Notice it's John chapter 14, verse 
13. How many verses before that are there? 12 verses before that, right? And how many verses after that? Anybody know? Let's say a bunch, okay? A bunch, because we don't know where it ends. So we'll just say a bunch. But if you look in your Bible this afternoon, you'll notice that there's two verses that are taken right out of the middle of an entire chapter, and we're building our... Uh-oh, what happened? It's not advancing. Oh, no. We must do something. Okay. Did that work? Here, let me do this. There you go. Okay. We have a new computer today, and so we have to work out some glitches for Jenny. <laughs> no, it, it's all me. So we have to understand what happens before the verse that we're talking about, what happens after the verse. In fact, the entire book of the Gospel of John, it would be good to know what happens in that. Also, we need to understand, who was this written to? Who was it written to, and what did they think? What was their circumstances? You know, what were their circumstances? And how does that fit in? And what Jesus is saying here, how does that fit into their circumstances? Because it will never mean anything other than what it meant to the original hearers. Okay, we can take it. We can change it. And you, you find pastors that will do that every now and then that will change the meaning. Well, it says this, but it really means this. And it will be contradictory to what it says. Be careful anytime you hear that. Find out what it says to the original hearers. Okay, and what was the original intent of the scripture? Okay, and then we can take that and apply it to our lives once we understand all of that. So uh, have you ever seen somebody, though, that kind of, you know, you're looking for a word from God and you flip through your Bible, you flip open and you plunk your finger down on a verse. Danger, danger. I know people that do that. Sure. And so they'll they'll plunk it down and, okay, you, you know, you flip through, plunk it down. And there's a verse in the Bible that says, and Judas went out and hanged himself. And you go, let's do another one. So you close that up and you flip through the scripture again and you plunk it down. And there's actually a verse of scripture that says this, and go and do likewise. Whoa, you don't want to put those two verses of scripture together. Judas went out and hanged himself. Then you read, oh, go and do like, no, I don't want to do that. And so you have to be careful how you look at the Bible. You can't just take verses out and say, oh, yeah, this applies to me and this applies. You know, there's so much in the Old Testament that people claim today that was really written for a certain aspect of the Israelites' lives. Okay? And so therefore, and we make a big general thing about it, and there might be a principle there that we can use, but we make a general claim about that for each and every one of us, which is danger. So we have to be careful how we take things out of context. Now, obviously, you can see the danger in that. You don't want to read, Judas went out and hanged himself, then read, go and do likewise. You don't want to do that. Okay, so let's take and understand the context. We're going to do that a little bit this morning. But there's a second thing that we have to do, and that is use other scripture to interpret scripture. Did you know that most of the time when the scripture talks about something, it'll talk about it in other places too. So if you find those other places, and you know the words to look up, and you know how to get to those other places, you can do what is called cross-referencing. You can take this scripture and reference it over here in Luke's writings. You can reference it in the Old Testament, maybe. You can, can cross-reference it into Paul's writings. And they'll talk about that same topic in a variety of areas and so that you get a full understanding of what it's talking about. We're going to do that today. And then the third thing that you need to do when you're interpreting scripture is, is apply what you learn. 
Because who cares what you know? Who cares what you know unless you live what you know? Who cares how much you know about the Bible unless you live the Bible? Have you ever seen people that know just abundance of knowledge about the Bible, but they live like they don't know the Bible? They live like they don't know the Bible. You know, they don't have to live like the devil necessarily. They just have to live neutralized. You know, I know the Bible. The Bible says I should be, I should, you know, this and this, and I, should, I, can, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Okay, there's a verse in the Bible that says that. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? We might talk about that one. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then you say, hey, could you serve on our, uh, with our children? Oh, no, I couldn't do that. Yeah, I, I just don't have that gift, you know? And in fact, I've heard people, you know, uh, when, when asked to invite someone to church, oh, no, that's not my gift. Oh, no, it's your responsibility. And I don't care what your gift is. It's your responsibility. And so we get, we get this whole idea that, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, what that really means to us is I can do all things through Christ that I want to do. You know, I can do all things that I want to do through Christ who gives me strength. But if I don't want to do it, no, no, that's not my gift. So we have to apply what we learn. Okay, so let's get started doing these three things in John chapter 14. Okay, now again, let's read what it says. In John chapter 14, verse 13, it says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name. That's a really critical clause in that that passage, isn't it? If we understood what that meant, we would understand this passage of Scripture much better. Now, what's the purpose in doing and in having God do what we ask? What's the purpose? So that we can get what we want? So that we can live comfortable lives? So that I can live in a million-dollar house in Lincoln? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Okay, no, here's the reason. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's why God wants to do what we ask, so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. Now, what does it mean, the Father being glorified in the Son? Good thing you're here today, huh? So that God can be seen through Jesus who dwells in you in the form of the Holy Spirit. God is being seen. Whenever God is being seen in his true nature, you know, when we don't distort him, when we don't make it seem like he's something other than what he is, when we really reveal who God is, then that is, that is when God is being glorified. We're making him known. We're making his greatness known. Okay? And that's what being glorified is. So now let's take a look at this. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to take a look at the context of the Gospel of John. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time. We're going to take a look at the context of the Gospel of John. Okay, now who wrote the Gospel of John? Oh, you got it. John wrote it. Easy. Okay, easy first question. Okay, John wrote the Gospel of John. Anybody know anything about John? He was an apostle. What, what special position did John occupy as an apostle? He's, he was described as the one whom Jesus loved. Okay, the one whom the Savior loved. Okay? And so he had a real close affinity with him. Okay? Now, anybody know what the main theme of John is? The main thing. What's, what's the Gospel of John trying to communicate to us? Okay, it's, well, okay, it's to all believers. Okay? But what's, what's he trying to communicate in the Gospel of John? Another good reason you're here today, huh? And that is so that, God, so that Jesus can be known as God's Son. The whole Gospel of John is so that people will know that Jesus is God's Son and that by believing in Jesus, you would have power to live like you're supposed to live. Okay, That's the whole thing of John. 
that Jesus is revealed as God's son and that by believing in him, you will have power. You'll have power. Okay, by believing in him, I mean, you'll trust him, you'll rely upon him, you'll commit yourself to him, you'll do what Jesus would do. Okay, now let's take a special look at verse uh, chapter 14. Okay, at the beginning part of that, do you know what Jesus says at the beginning part of chapter 14? He's talking about his death. He's talking about leaving the earth. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, he's talking about going to heaven. And in my father's house are many mansions, okay, many dwelling places. He says, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, people who are believers in Jesus. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place, I'm going to come back and get you. That's the first part of chapter 14. He also says some other things. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because what's Thomas saying? Thomas says, oh, man, we don't know the way you're going. We don't know where you're going. He says, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Okay? By believing in me, you're going to get where I want you to go. He also says that when he leaves, he's going to send this entity called the Holy Spirit to live in you. Okay? To live in you. To guide you. To be your guide for, the, for this earth. Okay? So he says those three things. He says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And they go, you're going to leave us? He says, ah, but don't worry. You know, I'm going to come back and get you. But in the meantime, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit to be your guide. Ah, that sounds pretty cool. And that's what John chapter 14 is all about. So now, let's take a look. Uh, he also says a couple of other things. He says, the Father and I are one. Okay, the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we know that about Jesus. Okay, so now let's read this passage of Scripture with these things in mind. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Remember the whole goal of this of this gospel of John is so that people will know that Jesus is God's son. And Jesus said, I want to be able to show people that. So I'm going to do what you ask in my name. Now in my name means as if I were the one asking. So if we could learn to ask what Jesus would ask, every prayer in our lives would be answered with a resounding yes. Yes. So at the beginning of your prayer time, what's the most important thing to do? Give thanks. Okay, give thanks. I got a lot of stuff here. Whatever you do to get started, whether it's a recognition of the attributes of God, the holiness of God, uh, whatever you do, I want you to position yourself to be able to hear from him what he wants. Sometimes we think about prayer as asking God for what we want. Okay, we pray and we ask for God what we want. I want this, I want that, and could you help so-and-so and do this and that? You know, and we just go off asking God to do stuff. Maybe at the beginning of our prayer time we said, God, make my heart like yours. Help me be in tune with you so that what I ask is what you want, so that I can recognize what you want, so that I can ask appropriately. And sometimes the goal of prayer is to change our hearts rather than to change God's mind. Have you ever gone to prayer thinking, oh, I need to change God's mind because obviously he's not helping me win the lottery, you know, and I need to change God's mind. God, just think what I could do with a million bucks. You know, just think how much the church would benefit. Just think how many lives would be changed. And not all the time I'm going to go spend it on a million dollar house. You know, you know, last week we talked about how James said, you know, we ask with the wrong motives. No, we're going to ask, talk about that today. We ask with the wrong motives. And we're going to talk about that. Okay. So remember, you know, we don't change God's mind through prayer, but we ask God to change our hearts so that we are in tune with what he wants. 
Okay? Now, why is that so important that we deal with this today? Okay? I believe that there is one reason why so many people leave the faith. You know, leave faith in Jesus. And that is because they believe that it says, I can ask whatever I want in Jesus' name and he will do it. And I ask for him to save my marriage. I ask for him to take care of my kids. I ask for him to do this. And he didn't do it. So therefore, there's nothing to benefit me in this whole pursuit of faith. I believe if we could understand what asking in Jesus' name is all about, we wouldn't have dashed hopes like we so often do when we just ask for stuff that we want. That's why it's important to us. So now... Let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. Okay, we've kind of set the context here. Now let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. Now you're going to notice some great familiarity with our next four passages, our next four points, because I preached this message not long ago when we were talking about prayer. And so we're going to use this now as a springboard to help us understand how we can interpret Scripture. Okay, so let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. Now, when we pray, what really matters to God? What matters to God? If we're praying in Jesus' name, let's ask, what four things really matter to God? Number one, your relationships matter to God. Your relationships matter to God. Have you ever asked for God to do something, and all the time, you know, you're at war with your husband or your kids or somebody at work, and, and you know, we say, yeah, God, really get them. You know, straighten them out. Help them get right with you. You know, we're good about that, but we're not so good at, God, straighten me out. Help me understand what they're going through. Help me be a conduit of hope for them. Usually, we want, God, we want to be a spanking spoon for the kids of God, don't we? You know, I'm going to say this. There are people in this church that love being a spanking spoon for the, word, uh, for the children of God. You know, you didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. You know, and we like being, and I say a spanking spoon because when we spanked our kids at home, we had a wooden spoon. We spanked them with a wooden spoon, and we loved them afterwards. We did the whole thing there. Uh, but it was interesting when we got ready to move one year, and, uh, you know, the kids were in middle school, and uh, we're moving the couch. And in that couch, there were four or five wooden spoons stuffed in the cushions of that couch. I don't know why Cindy put them there. But, uh, but <laughs> when we would go to spank the kids, we couldn't find a wooden spoon. You know, what do you do then? I don't know. Okay, but your relationships matter. So don't be a person that just wants to spank people. Be a person that loves people. Be a person that wants to be integral in their lives to help them become more like Christ. In Mark chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, it says this, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Ooh, that sounds good, doesn't it? And when you stand praying, and usually we stop there, but remember, context is king here. We want to make sure that we understand. Okay, in the next verse, 25, it says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. Okay, when you get ready to pray, and you're praying and asking God to bless your life and to do good, what he's going to say right back to you is, I want to bless your life, but I want you to be a blessing to someone else. I want you to be a blessing to someone else by forgiving them. Okay? I want you to first be a blessing because I want you to be like me. I want to bless you. I want you to be a blessing to other people. Okay? If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. No, now notice, so that, there's a, there's a cause and effect here. If I forgive somebody, it's so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. You know, there's kind of this thing. If you want your sins forgiven, forgive other people's sins. If you want to be forgiven, be a forgiver. 
Okay, and I want you to emblazon that in your mind this week. If I want to be forgiven, I need to be a forgiver. Now, don't raise your hands. Don't nod. Don't get wide-eyed. Don't smile. Don't elbow anyone right here. But how many of you know someone that needs to be forgiven by you? Okay, don't raise your hands. Don't elbow anybody. Okay, but thank you for your honesty. We all know somebody, probably. Okay, we need to be forgivers so that we can be forgiven. Now, I want you to know that the people you forgive will not receive the biggest blessing. You know who receives the biggest blessing when you forgive? You do. You do. Because you release yourself from all of the angst and all the bitterness and all the anger. And if you truly forgive them, then, they, then, then you will be the one who is the beneficiary of that forgiveness. Now, what does forgiveness mean? Okay, it means letting the offender go free for the offense. Okay? When we get offended, when we get hurt, when we get damaged by somebody else, what do we want to do? We want to get even. We want to get even. And if I could get even, I'd feel good about this. You know, which I, you know, we're even. Things are cool. But the problem is that when I have an estimation of what it takes to be even, this person did this. And so I think, well, I don't know if that's enough, so I'm going to do this. And then this person says, hey, yo, whoa, wait a minute. You hurt me more than I hurt you. Now I need to get even with you. And so they go, I don't know if that's even or not, but I'm going to go a little extra because extra is good. So I'm going to do this. Oh, wait a minute. Hey, you hurt me more. And all we do is escalate conflict. Let them go. Let them go for your sake. They don't have to pay back anymore. You don't have to get even. Now, I'm not saying that you have to trust them because there's some people that are untrustworthy that are going to damage you over and over and over again. Don't be in a position to let them do that, but let them go free. You don't have to pay back anymore. You're free. I remember there was a, a guy in my church uh, before this, and he was, uh, his wife was divorcing him. She'd had an affair on him and all this stuff. And he's, you know, they were trying to settle the property and all of that stuff. And, and she was trying to take more than was her fair share. And, uh, and he says, you know, I could fight her about this. I could do that, you know, all this stuff. And I said, what is it worth to you to be rid of all of this, to be done? He goes, everything I have. I said, okay, then do you have to fight about property? No, I really don't. Yeah, just let it go. Let it be done. And we think justice is what? Getting even. No, let it go. If she wants a little more than is her fair share, nah. Let it go so that you can live in peace, so that you, being the forgiver of the one offending you, can live at peace. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says this, you know, and, and many of us today are married, and many of us are husbands here in this room today. So here, husbands, wives, don't jab anything here. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Nothing will hinder your prayers. Don't ask me to talk about that weaker partner thing there, because I don't want to divide the, the sexes here. But, uh, but did you know men and women are different? One of the great tragedies of our day and age today is I think that the sexes are being pitted against each other. Men against women. Men have kept women down for, and women are rising up, and, and now men are on the downside, you know, and being accused of things they didn't do, and, oh, who cares? You know, some guy did it, so, you know, we blame them all. And so we're doing that. We're, we're pitting. But men and women are different. Now, they are equal, equal in value. But we have taken that word equal in our society today and made it mean the same. Men and women are different. 
Trust me, the way we think, the way we talk, the way we react, all of that stuff is different. And it's good that we're different. We need to be different. But don't let us be sucked into our culture saying that we need to be the same because we are not. Okay, so that's all I'm going to say about that today. Okay, now the point is that I want men, I want you to circle a couple of words here. The one word is considerate. The other word is respect. Be considerate and respect. Respect. You know, a lot of women would say, well, you know, you need to validate my feelings. You know, my feelings are my feelings, and so therefore you need to identify that and be okay with it. Well, that's okay, you know, because your feelings truly are your feelings. But I want us to know, every one of us, men, woman, child, whatever, we can have emotions that are incorrect, okay? Our emotions are built on what? What we believe. Now, if I believe incorrectly, I will feel improperly, won't I? If I believe that you guys are here trying to get rid of me, if I believe that you're really backstabbing me, if I believe that you're backbiting and you're talking bad about me, how am I going to feel about you? Not real good. But I do know that the truth is that you love me. And so therefore, I have positive feelings of love toward you. Now, I'm just telling you that when we believe wrong, we can actually feel wrong. And, it, and even though it's true, we're feeling that. And I don't mean to minimize that. We're truly feeling that. But always when you have a feeling, go back and evaluate. Why do I feel that way? What do I believe that causes me to feel this way? Because how I feel is generally the way I'm going to act. Okay. So men, treat your wives with consideration. Consider them. Consider their opinions. Consider their value. Consider their worth. Consider everything about them and appreciate that. That's what consideration does. And then what will you do? You'll treat them with respect. I see a lot of men that just kind of use their wives as a tool. You know, you're good for this and this and this and this. And, you know, you're good for cooking me dinner. And if dinner's not on time and if it's not good, boy, am I upset because that's what I value you with. Men, don't ever do that. Treat them with consideration and respect because the bottom line is so that nothing will hinder your prayers. How you treat your wife will affect the way that your prayers are, are taken by God. Okay? How they're heard by God, how they're responded to by God. Because you treat your wife badly and you say, oh, God, help me to get raised tomorrow. And God says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, big guy. You know, I'm concerned about your financial stuff. Don't get me wrong. But let's get home straightened up first. Because though I give you more money, you know what you're going to do? You're going to buy a boat. And when you buy a boat, you're going to go fishing with your buddies. And you're going to ignore your wife all the more. And I don't want that. So why would I do something that's not good for you? And we go, oh, yeah. Okay, so make sure that we treat our wives. And and I think we can take this across the board. Make sure that we treat people with dignity and respect so that we have consideration for them so that our prayers will not be hindered because it affects our prayer life. Our relationships affect our prayer life, okay? Number two, what else matters? Your motives. Why do I ask for what I want? Usually we ask for stuff from God. Why? Because we want to get something. I wanted God to help me win the lotto yesterday, even though I wasn't playing. I wanted him to help me win the lotto so that I could buy a house. You know, what's my motive? My motive is I want to be comfortable. I want to get out of this one bedroom situation. I want to be able to put my feet up. I want to be able to watch TV. I want to be, oh, yeah. And God said, what? Okay, your motives matter. James 4.3 says, when you ask, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives. And here's the wrong motive. 
that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And how many of us want to raise at work? How many of us want to, you know, maybe a decrease in the time we spend at work? How many of us want a better situation so that we can have more pleasure? Okay, wrong motive. Okay, Proverbs 16, 2 says, all a person's ways seem right to them or seem pure to them. You know, I think, you know, I, I deserve a little pleasure, don't I? I deserve a little break. I deserve a little comfort. I deserve a little whatever. You know, I deserve a break today. So I eat at McDonald's. You know, that used to be their tagline. Okay. All a person's ways seem pure to them. Oh, God, you know, I'm not being selfish. I'm being pure here. But motives are weighed by the Lord. And what does he say about our motives? James tells us, well, here, when you want to spend them on what brings you pleasure, that's a bad motive, wrong motive. Okay, why does God want to give us stuff? Why does God want us to have stuff? So that we can glorify him. Exactly, Janine. So that we can make him known in our world. Not so that we can be fat, dumb, and happy. Okay, number three, your faith matters. What you trust God to do matters. Now, how many of you know exactly what to trust God for all the time? Nah, none of us do. You know why? Because we're not real good students of the word. Okay? God says, I will do this. And if he says he will do it, we need to trust that. If he says, I'll do this, if you do this, then we need to take care of our business. And there's a lot of conditional promises that God makes. It says, if you do this, I will do this. Okay? And sometimes he says, I'm going to do this no matter what. Okay? But, and it may be with you or it may be without you. But I'm going to do this. So we need to know what God says, so we need to be students of the word. Okay? And back to James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Uh, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Okay? If you ask, okay, and how can we ask and not doubt? Okay? If we know God, what he stands for, and what he wants to do, we can ask. We know what he wants. Remember when I said that at the beginning part of our prayer time, we should be asking God, change my heart. Don't change my circumstances yet, God. Change my heart. Okay, so that I, my motives are your motives. Change my heart so that I can ask what you would ask if you were in my place. So change my heart, first of all, God. Okay, and so we can go on. But when you ask, you must believe, and we can believe when we know what God wants, and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like waves of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. I don't know what you want, God, but here's what I want. You know, should you expect to receive? You know, it's like your kids coming to you and saying, oh, dad, mom, you know, I don't know what you want, but here's what I want. Huh, huh, can I have it? Can I have it? Huh, huh, huh. No, that's not good for you. You cannot eat cake for dinner. You know, it's just easy stuff. And that's the way we treat God sometimes. We want, we want, we want. No, that's not what I want for you. Okay. Two blind men come to Jesus in Matthew chapter nine. And here's what he did. Then he touched their eyes and said this. He touched their eyes. Now they're blind guys, right? And when Jesus touches their eyes, do you think that they, that automatically heals them? Ah, yeah. oh, check out what it says. According to your faith, let it be done to you. Now, what do you think their faith was? That he would heal them. That he would heal them because that's what happens. And their sight was restored. Now, if they didn't believe that he could heal them, what would have happened? They wouldn't have gotten it. Because he said, according to your faith, let it be done. According to your trust in me, let it be done. So your faith matters when it comes to prayer. Okay, there's a fourth thing here. God's will matters. In the name of Jesus, 
matters. Because that's like saying, according to your will, Lord, let it be done. Okay? In your name, as if you were speaking this, as if I had your heart and I knew exactly what you wanted. So if I'm asking for something that's not what you want, Lord, change it because I want to ask in your name. A lot of times we just throw that on at the end and it has no meaning for us. I want you to change that. I want you to, when you say in the name of Jesus, what I really want to hear, what I want you to mean is, is God, change my heart. If I've asked for something inappropriately, change my heart and change the thing that I'm asking for so that I get what you want, so that you perform what you want to do. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, and here's another scripture that confirms what we're talking about. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. This is the confidence. Now, when you go to prayer, sometimes we don't have a lot of confidence, right? God, I don't know what you want to do. I don't know what, you, what you're doing. I, I don't know what, how you feel about this, but here's what I want. Okay, now John here says that we can have confidence when we approach God. That if we ask anything, what? According to his will, and I'm going to say in his name, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, We know that we have what we asked of him according to his will. God, I want what you want. And if you let me know what you want by reading the word, by being in communication with him, when I know what you want, that's what I'm going to ask for. And that's when I can have supreme confidence in what you're going to do. Now, John 14, 14. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I hope that has new significance for you this morning. I hope it has new significance for you as you go forward in your prayer life. Because using God's name is serious business. It's serious business. If you're going to be a representative of God, make sure you know what he wants. Make sure you know what he wants. The only way to know what he wants is to spend time in prayer with him and reading his word. He declares to you over and over and over again in his word what he wants to do, what he wants from you what he intends to do in our world. And so make sure that you're trusting his reputation and his intentions when you go to him in prayer and he will accomplish what is best. Okay? If your prayer is just a way to get what you want, it's an insult to God. Don't insult God with your prayer life. Make sure you know what he wants and have confidence in asking him.